the spirit gives life. And so as we've just, we've just prayed in song, let me just articulate that once more as we come to the word. Father, we do thank you for your spirit who is present among us. We pray that he would be active. Uh, he will be active. Help us to discern his direction and activity in our lives and in our hearts as we come to your word. Breathe new life into us. Uh, which we cannot do ourselves, which my enthusiasm and zeal and yelling cannot accomplish. Uh, you give life, you sustain life, you renew life, uh, you strengthen life by your almighty spirit. We pray that you would do it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, can you say it with me? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, the Apostle Paul said, there is no law. Uh, that is God's word to us through the Apostle Paul. It was written to the churches of Galatia, and we have been studying uh, that well-known list of Christian virtues, the fruit of the Spirit, this summer, we've been using the book of Proverbs as a guide to help us grow in practical instruction for how to abound in each of those fruits. And this morning, we come to the fruit of goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Uh, this is, I believe, at least in a sense, this is a very simple word to the church today. And I don't want to overcomplicate it, but I should probably say a little bit more than what really is the basic thrust of this message to the church. And that is, church, do good. If you're just looking for the simple, maybe you're out of, it's just been one of those mornings or one of those weeks, hard to focus. You're not sure how much you're going to get out of this time coming up. I believe God's word to our church this morning is do good. Now, I do think it would be helpful to say a little bit more than just that, especially to avoid some per, uh, particular confusion or misunderstanding that might arise from that very simple and wonderful call to do good. So we will think a little bit more about it. And our, our main verse that we want to look at in the book of Proverbs to help us do that is Proverbs 3.27. So I would invite you to turn there if you'd like. If you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to Proverbs 3.27. I believe that is page 529 of those Bibles that are provided there uh, under your seats. Proverbs 3.27, Solomon writes, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Uh, if I could state that another way for you, perhaps I could put it like this. Those who fear the Lord ought to do all the good that they are capable of doing. And to break down that main idea, those who fear the Lord ought to do all the good that they are capable of doing. To break that down, let's just consider it under two points. I hope you could see the two points a present there in verse 27. Point number one, there is such a thing as goodness. I know, that's just a, like, what? 
just hear me out. I think that will be helpful. I hope it will be helpful. There is such a thing as goodness. Point number two, God's people are called by God and empowered by God to do a whole lot of it. Do you see those two ideas in verse 27 of Proverbs 3? Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Goodness is a thing. There is such a thing as goodness. That's, that's assumed in Proverbs 3.27, isn't it? Don't withhold good. And I think we can frame that positively. Be about give yourself to doing good as if we all know what it is to do good as opposed to doing evil. But I do think we should consider that. I think there's an awful lot of confusion about this in our wider society. So I don't want to just jump through this and get right to the call to do good. I do think it would be useful for us to think about what goodness is. What does it mean to be good? We can see this is not just a philosophical conundrum. Even in our society right now, one of the, the, just one of the front burner, in your face, most divisive social issues in our nation right now, tearing apart our nation, is, is the issue of abortion. And on both sides of that strife and contention are people who are convinced that they are on the side of good. And they're not both right. So what is goodness? God's word has a lot to say about that. The book of Proverbs has something to say about it. On the one hand, uh, the book of Proverbs teaches us how not to determine or define goodness. Proverbs 19.2. And as is the case with all of these sermons, I'm going to be mentioning a lot of verses. You don't have to turn to every one of them. I'm happy to send you my notes that has all the verses in there so that you don't have to miss what is being said by flipping around in your Bible. But Proverbs 19.2, desire without knowledge is not good. That's a really important verse in our culture, I believe. Desire without knowledge is not good. What we feel... What we want is not the measure of what is good. Proverbs 21.10 puts it like this. The soul of the wicked desires evil. Now, I, I say this is particularly pressing in our nation because our country is trying to... Uh, remake its laws and redefine ethics and build an entire worldview on the premise uh, that what we want needs to be enshrined and protected as a vital good part of our identity. And I want to say a little bit more about this. I'm going to hold off saying more about it until we come to the fruit of self-control, which is maybe the craziest fruit in our particular society. But for right now, we could just say that desire without knowledge is not good. No matter how many people in a nation or a society may agree that a particular desire is good, desire without knowledge is not good. What we need beyond just desire is we need knowledge, right? That's what it says there in 19 verse 2. Desire without knowledge is not good. Or Proverbs 19, 8. Whoever gets sense loves his own soul, he who keeps understanding will discover good. 
Now, these words, knowledge, understanding, sense, they're not merely referring to acquiring information, but they are referring to a right relationship with the Lord. I will not grow weary of telling you this in this series of messages as we're studying the book of Proverbs because it really is the main point of the book of Proverbs is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. So in chapter 2, Solomon writes, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And he says, then, in obtaining the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity And every good path. Desire without knowledge is desire that is untethered to God's truth and God's revelation of himself. It is wrong to desire something that God says we should not desire. True goodness is found in knowing God. We cannot arrive at the discovery of good or a definition of good without God because the category good involves something, has a, there's a purpose to something. Right? We, we need to have a purpose in view for something if we know what a good thing is. If I say this is a good pen, I don't mean that it's useful for hammering a nail into the wall. The, the, the pen has a purpose, a design. If it writes smoothly and it doesn't smudge, it's a good pen. The goodness of the thing relies, depends upon the purpose of the thing. And if we don't know the purpose of the thing, we don't know what goodness is. And since God is the one who made everything, God is the one who defines purpose and God is the one who defines goodness. I hope that's not too abstract and philosophical for you. We need to be mindful of that in our culture. The days are evil and the days are instructing us that whatever I feel and whatever I desire and whatever seems good to me is good. But that just totally destroys our whole existence as creatures made by God. And here's the really good news about this. God is good. To be made by God To be submitted to God's purpose and design is not bad. It's not harmful to our flourishing. It's good because he is good. Every good and perfect gift, James 1, 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good thing we enjoy is a testimony to the fact that God, who is the maker and giver of all, is good. He created the world, and after each day of creation, he pronounced the benediction, this is good. Why? Because God had made it. He is good to all, Psalm 145, verse 9 says, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And so the psalmist prays, Psalm 119, verse 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. 
God is good. He does good. He gives what is good. And those who therefore know this good God long to be taught his statutes, all of which are good. Turn away the reproach that I dread, the psalmist prays, for your rules are good. So what is goodness? Goodness is whatever God approves of. Whatever conforms to God's law, whatever reflects God's character, whatever submits to God's rule and expresses his values, that is good because God is good. Absolutely. He's not just good in terms of his conforming to an external standard. Like we have this category of good and then we measure God by that standard and we come to the conclusion, oh, God is good because he fits the bill. No, he is the standard. He is the way we come to understand and know any good at all. Kids, kids, let me try to eye up where the kiddos are today. Are are there any of you kids here today who are aware of, you know, and you feel bad about how bad you are sometimes? And you really, really want, you want to be better. You don't like being bad. You want to be good. Any kids like that? Any kids brave enough maybe that you would raise a hand? Okay, we got some, got some brave kids. Okay, is that Joan? Is that Jonah or Judah over there? They're both raising their hands. Okay, I, keep your hands raised for a moment. Let me, let me. So I can't see everybody, but I'm going to try. Okay, keep your hands raised. Let's just pray. You, I'm going to keep my eyes open so I can see these kids. Would you just ba- shut your eyes? I'm going to pray for these dear children right now who are raising their hand. See if I can get them. Okay, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the kids in our church. We thank you for Noah. And for Lydia and for Brace, Brace, Jace and Brantley and Bray. That's a tongue twister. And we thank you for Annalise and for Jonah and Judah and Ruth. And I don't know if there's other ones that I'm missing. But we thank you for these dear children that have raised their hands. They want to be good. Is that Daniel over there, I think, too? Daniel's got his hand up. Thank you for these kids. We thank you that they are aware that they are bad. That's a good thing that they can see that they're bad that's a gift from you and we pray that you would bless these dear children and that you would help them to know you who is the source of all good you are the source of all goodness help them to know you to be good and to know that following in your way is good and so may their lives be marked more and more by goodness i pray for talia too because her her hands up i think too and i missed it But we thank you for these children. We pray that you would work more and more goodness in them by your spirit and for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Kids, I love having you here. I love that you're here. I want to say, I just prayed for you, but I want to actually say something additional to you. Um, God's rules, rules are like a hard thing. We don't like rules. But I want you to understand that God's rules are meant to show you how God set things up to work for your good. When God's commands don't feel good to you, the problem is not with God. It's not that he gave bad commands. The problem is with us that we are sinners. Uh, We can be sometimes, not just kids, but actually us adults too, we can be like a foolish fish 
who thinks that they're going to find the good life. Imagine a foolish fish who decides, you know what? I really want to live a good life. I'm going to jump out of the water and try to find good out on land. That's not going to work. Because the fish was made to find its good in the environment of water. We had a foolish fish. We had two foolish fish that actually did this. Jumped right out of their little tank onto the counter. They couldn't find any good out there on the counter. Because the fish was made to live in the environment of water. That's where it finds good. And you and I, we were made to find our good in the environment of a relationship with God. Because we're not wise enough to know what's really good for us. Only God is wise enough for that. So, kids, if you don't get if you, I mean, I said do good, but maybe you might remember this in the sermon. Don't be like little blue. Don't be like little blue. Because little blue just, he was a good old fish, and then he just jumped out of the water. And then he was dead because he jumped out of the water, and he's not made to live without this. So don't be like little blue. I can bring that up and talk about that more with my son later. We were made to find the truly good life in living in God's rules, doing God's will, walking in his way. And so don't let anyone trick you, kids. Don't let anybody trick you into thinking that you should decide for yourself what's good. You, you remember Proverbs 19 too. Desire without knowledge is not good. And remember, kids, that if you trust him, if you trust, not if you're perfect and you always do good and you never sin, because we all sin, but if you trust him, if you trust him, he will never, ever, 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 ever do anything to you or command anything of you that is not for your good. Because he's the author of good. He's the definer of good. And everything he does is good all the time. Now, that's a little extended word for the kids. I hope there's something profitable there for you adults as well. And it brings us to our second point that God, this good God, because he is good, he calls us and he does empower each of us, kids, grown-ups, all who fear him. He calls us to do a whole lot of good. Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. We, as God's people, we who fear the Lord, we should do all the good that we are capable of doing. And again, here's one of those parts where I want to just make sure I clarify some things because there could be some confusion that arises here. Perhaps you would say, Larry, I thought the Bible was pretty emphatic in saying that there's none who is righteous, that there is no one who does good. I, I thought the Bible's message is that, as it says of uh, the, the whole creation in the days of Noah, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I thought Jesus himself even said that no one is good but God alone. What, what are you talking about here that we are supposed to be doing a whole lot of good? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because that too, what I just said, and what you know to be true from scripture about the badness of human beings, that also is affirmed in the wisdom of Proverbs. Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. 
The assumed and understood answer to that rhetorical question is nobody. Nobody can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is basically mankind's declaration of no to God's infinite and eternal goodness. It's the creature shaking its fist at the creator and declaring that we, with our own faculties and our own desires and our own innate sense of what's right and wrong, we can create a good world and we can live good by ourselves. And that is the very pinnacle of evil. To deny our maker and go our own way is the very essence and definition of sin. And it has severed our relationship with God. It has severed all of our relationship because all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. And yet in his goodness, in his goodness, God loves the rebellious world. The world that was heading full speed to its destruction, who was contentedly living under the wrath of God in a kind of drunken stupor of deadness in our sin, thinking that we know better than the maker of the world what good is. When we were in that condition, God is so good that he did not want to see us continue on destroying ourselves. But the Bible teaches that God, here's a verse that you all know and love, God so loved the world. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, One writer said of that verse, famous as it is, there is more of his bounty expressed in that one verse than there is in the whole volume of the world. It is an incomprehensible so. God so loved the world. It is an incomprehensible so. A so that all the angels in heaven cannot analyze. And all that goodness and loving kindness of God towards a sinful world, a world full of rebels, all that goodness came down in the person of our Lord Jesus. When Peter was at the house of Cornelius testifying to the gospel before Cornelius and his household. He described the Lord Jesus' ministry as he went about doing good. That's what Jesus was all about. He went about doing good. Jesus is the only one who could say, as he did in John eight twenty nine, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he completed that obedience to his father by submitting himself to the agony and shame of the cross by which Jesus would satisfy God's righteous wrath against sin. And he did not stay dead, but having made satisfaction for the sins of his people, he rose from the grave on the third day and thus declared himself to be the one who was able to reconcile all who would repent and believe in him to restore them to a right relationship with the God who is good. And as those sinners repent and believe, he clothes those with his own spirit, the spirit of goodness, so that we might be enabled with his help to really, truly do good. In Christ, God has opened the way for humans to function 
properly again as his people, as his image bearers, living for the glory of the Lord, making it our aim as we were exhorted from 2 Corinthians 5 to please him. And so if you are here this morning and you are not reconciled to God through faith in Jesus, not through your good stuff that you would do, but through your acknowledging that you can't do any good in order to satisfy his perfect demands because you have sinned against him. If you know yourself to be in that condition, I appeal to you to repent of your sin today, to repent of your own commitment to rule yourself Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, see in him the image of the invisibly good God, and come to Christ this morning. To be converted is not simply to be forgiven. Oh, it is, uh, please do not hear me diminishing the beauty and the joy and the wonder of being forgiven. But to be converted is not simply to be forgiven, but to be transformed. From one uh, of being unrelenting in my commitment to do my will and being transformed into one who now sees and defines good as living God's way and making it our aim to please him and giving ourselves to that which he approves of. And we are fueled in our doing of that by the all-satisfying enjoyment of God's great goodness to us, his love to us in Christ. The love of Christ, the Apostle Paul said, controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and for their sake was raised. It's the love of Christ that controls us to stop living for ourselves and start making it our aim to live for Jesus. And that's good. To live for Christ is to live a life of goodness. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, at one time you were darkness. But now, to those who've come to faith in Christ, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then, he says, as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And all this, all this good news, it's called good news, right? The gospel is good news. All this good news, it affects how we hear Proverbs 3.27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. God's people give themselves to doing a whole lot of good. That's not just Old Testament legalism. That's the fruit of God's grace in our lives. In Christ, Christ has become to us wisdom from God. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And by his spirit, from one degree of glory to another, this is what we as God's people are about. We're about this unrelenting commitment to do good. Not as a strategy for meriting a right standing with God. That would be suicide. But a, but a, a right standing with God built only on the grace of God. But now the fruit of God's powerful grace working in us. Christ gave himself for us 
This is grace. Right? Titus chapter 2. The grace of God has appeared. Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous. There's that Z word for those of you that are counting my, we have a thing going on in the Lazarus house about words starting with different letters. There's the Z word. He made us a people. He has redeemed us. He's purified for himself a people zealous for good works. We're going to express that longing at the end of our service when we sing the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. And when we sing these words, Take Myself and I Will Be Ever Only All for Thee. And that's the longing of the born again heart. Oh, we don't live up to it as we ought. We know that. But saying, is that your longing? Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Or or in the words, there's there's an old gospel song. I'm not going to sing it for you because that would not be good. But maybe some of you have heard it. I believe it's called Yes, Lord, Yes. I'm not talking about that trading my sorrows song because some of us know that one. I would be more apt to sing that one, but I'm not going to do that. But it goes like this. The refrain goes like this. Yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Now, I know some Christians, I've had some conversations with Christians over the years that I think they, I've not talked about that particular chorus with them, but I, I think that they would hear that and have some concern about that. Maybe it seems a little arrogant to proclaim that or maybe triumphalistic, not recognizing the, the reality of sin in our hearts. And I, I think there's some people, maybe even here among us this morning, who would hear that kind of, yes, Lord, yes, And say, I can't sincerely make that promise to God. I am so sinful. I am so broken. I I am such a miserable wretch. I can't do any good things. So I just shouldn't say anything like that at all. Because I can't live up to that. And, And the people who feel that way most palpably, in my experience, they're very sincere brothers and sisters. They really love Jesus. And they're truly relying upon Jesus for forgiveness. And they're not flippant about sin at all. They're very concerned and grieved about the presence of sin in their lives. And so I don't want to be scolding you when I say this. I, I hope you hear gentleness and longing in my heart as I say this. But where does the Bible teach us to think like that? Where does the Bible teach us to be so humble... And if you're listening to this on recording, I just used air quotes with the word humble there. Where does the Bible teach us to be so humble that we refuse and resist what God has done and is doing and tells us he is doing in our lives? Is, is Jesus so impotent and is the Holy Spirit so irrelevant that God is unable to produce in his people good and beautiful things? Things that actually cause us to be pleasing to him. Not because we're so amazing in and of ourselves, but because it's a beauty and goodness that is from him and through him and to him. He knows that you're a hot mess. 
I'm a hot mess. I was a hot mess yesterday morning. A hot mess. Not just a mess. I was a hot mess. Which reminds me, do we know where he is? But that's a whole other conversation. Um, he knows we're a hot mess. But that's why he sent the spirit of him who went about doing good to produce actual goodness in doofuses like me by his spirit. And not just a little bit of good, but a whole lot of good. But this is a part, this is not the gospel, but this is a part of the joyful outworkings of the gospel breaking into our lives. We are created in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We love those verses, do we not? Verse 10, the next verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's what he's doing in our lives. He has not created us in Christ Jesus that we might lament our inability to do anything good. If he has the power to bring us safely to heavenly glory, if he's got the power and the grace to get us to that final day where his servants are going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servants, if he can get us there, then he can actually produce some genuine goodness in you this week. Not perfect goodness, not goodness independent of his goodness, but goodness wrought about by his goodness, doing real tangible good in your life and in the life of one another and in those outside the walls of this church. He can really do that. Believe that today, dear saints. And rejoice. Don't he, I hope you don't hear that as burdensome because all of his ways and his commands and his precepts are good. The law of your mouth. I love the 119th Psalm. It's worth memorizing. It's really long. It's worth memorizing. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So, beloved, let's get after it. Let's be about doing a whole lot of good by the power of his grace for the praise of his glory. Uh, there's a there's a, a quote. I've heard it is attributed to John Wesley, but then I've also heard it's wrong to attribute it to John Wesley. I don't know who said it. I think there's a lot of value in it. I hope that it's an exhortation that we can take to heart and make our own. Do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can as long as ever you can. Or as Solomon put it, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. Now here we are and we want to come to the table and we could just spend the next couple of hours just going through the book of Proverbs. Now with that understanding, I hope that's a gospel framework for our thinking about our goodness. We could just go into the book of Proverbs and just think endlessly about all the ways that the book of Proverbs guides us and leads us in the way of doing good. I don't really have time to do that now. 
but I commend that you would do it. This is, I think I have mentioned this before. This is one of the great values and benefits of reading the book of Proverbs systematically day after day, month after month, year after year. Today's the 7th of August. I got that right this time. I think the last time I did that, I forgot what day it was, okay? But today is the 7th. I read Proverbs 7, and I learned about the goodness of staying away from the immoral woman. So you could just give yourself, you could just keep on plotting and strategizing good just by reading the book of Proverbs day after day, month after month, year after year, and seeing all the ways that God would direct you through seasonable words and through bountiful generosity and by relieving the oppression of the defenseless and needy and by instructing our children and disciplining them in God's way and by doing business with integrity and honesty and working hard and not following in the way of the sluggard and uh, making peace through forgiveness of sin and rebuking a brother or sister who is going astray and bringing good news of refreshment to those who haven't heard the good news. There's a whole lot of good that the book of Proverbs commends us to do. All around us, all around us, there are opportunities to love others eagerly and openly with the love of Jesus. And I know, I know, I know, you can't do everything. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about trying to do everything. But we can do some things. We can do a lot of things for his sake. So uh, I encourage you to be active, to be aggressive in strategizing the good that you can do in Christ's name and for his glory. Just a few verses on from that list of the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 6, 9, the Apostle Paul said this. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, doesn't that sound just like Proverbs 3.27? As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. What opportunities for good have you left lying around, unutilized? Uh, Opportunities, perhaps, that God himself has given to you in your particular sphere of influence in order for you to glorify him by doing good to others. That's, That's the question that I want to leave you with. As we come to the table. There's a whole lot of good. That the Lord is working among us. Let me be not remiss in saying that. You all are a sweet, sweet, sweet encouragement. You know, and I don't know the half of it. I don't know a tenth of it. All the ways that you are active in doing good to each other. But there's a whole lot of evidence of God's grace in us. But beloved. Let's just go after it all the harder. There's more and more good to be done for the glory of his name. Love you, dear saints. Let's pray, and then we'll come to his table. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word on goodness. I'm not sure that I've ever heard a sermon on goodness. And now that I have preached one, I hope that it has been of help to your people, that it has not felt Uh, that it has not caused them to feel condemned for their lack of goodness, but that it has 
strengthened their resolve as we as paul prayed for the thessalonians that they would walk worthy of your calling and that you would fulfill in them every resolve for good and every work of faith by your power so that the name of the lord jesus would be glorified in them and they in him according to your grace and the grace of the lord jesus that's what i would pray now for these uh, dear ones in front of me that you would help us that you would make us worthy of our calling And that you would fulfill in each of us every resolve for good and every work of faith by your power. And that you would strengthen us and stabilize us and root us as we eat and drink now in remembrance of Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.